You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts, radio, news. Then this week, we got a reminder that we aren't past the inflation dragon yet, as U.S. CPI numbers came in surprisingly hot, holding at 3.9% year over year, way above that 2% target. To take us through these CPI numbers is the person who has warned us about the risks for three years now, our special contributor, Larry Summers of Harvard. So, Larry, thanks all very much for being with us. I suspect that you being right about this is not really good news, necessarily. But where are we right now in your estimation in inflation? It's certainly not at the five or six number level, but it doesn't look like it's getting down to two. Look, uh, it's always a mistake to overinterpret one month's number. And that's especially true in January, where calculating seasonality is uh, difficult. But I think we have to recognize the possibility of a mini paradigm shift. The soft landing paradigm with the assumption that inflation was headed down to two in a tranquil, healthy, real economy has certainly been called into question by these data. There had been a strong assumption that housing was headed towards being a major deflationary force. That doesn't show up in these numbers on owner-occupied housing. And as I've looked carefully at these numbers, I think there's good reasons for that. The idea is that when we judge the cost of owner-occupied houses, we try to estimate what it would cost to rent the residents in question. And many people have done that by looking at, a, at all rentals. But most rentals are apartments, and those don't have much to do with the price of owner-occupied housing. If you look at the data focused on single-family housing, houses with lawns and suburbs and uh, the like, you don't get nearly as deflationary a picture. The model I've been using for several years uh, now with my co-authors uh, at the NBER is still looking for 3-4% owner-equivalent rental inflation through the remainder of this year. That's uh, 30% of core CPI inflation. If it's running at 3.5%, that uses up a lot of the room there is under an under a 2% inflation target. I think the Fed is going to have to be very careful. They were never right to be focused on March for a cut. I had been saying that that seemed uh, premature and they've, they and the markets have come around 
on that. I think that May is odds off at this point and probably should be odds off. And gosh, I think we've got to recognize what no one's talking about. There's a meaningful chance, maybe it's 15%, that the next move is going to be upwards in rates, not uh, downwards uh, in rates. You know, to use a metaphor, David, that I used to use on uh, this show, the worst thing you can do when the doctor prescribes you antibiotics is finish part of the course, feel better, give up on the the antibiotics because you don't like taking them, and see what happens. The disease tends to come back, and it tends to be harder to go after the second time. And interest rates elevated to contain inflation are like antibiotics. So I think the Fed has to be very careful in uh, this uh, environment. And I think that many people who confused what they wanted with what was real were in much too much of a hurry to declare that we were obviously in a phase of major easing with respect to monetary policy. So Larry, let me continue your analogy to a disease. And perhaps what we have here is we're not recovering fully to 2%. On the other hand, the fever's not spiking up to 5 6 7% the way it was before. What happens if we have just a low-grade fever at the 3 3-plus three level? What does that mean for the economy? Gosh, Chairman Powell has said so many times, 2%, 2%, 2%. As you'll recall from our previous conversations, I didn't think it was a great idea to have had so specific and tight a target. But we've had one and we've set it and we've repeated it a large number of times. If we decide that two sort of has lost its meaning and it's not something we have to accept when there's strong political pressures to ease, if we send that signal, I wonder why anyone would believe that we're going to stick with two and a half or three or whatever it is that we settle into. And then when that feeds into expectations, it'll get harder to hold the level we have. And of course, we are headed into, David, as populist uh, election period as you or I can remember in our lifetimes. And we usually think of the Fed as a bulwark against populism, not as a reinforcer of uh, populist uh, pressures. Let's continue on the subject of that populist election, as you call it, and specifically with respect to fiscal policy. You and I have talked before about the deficit and the debt that is mounting here. I know you've just helped launch something new called the Tax Reform Project. And in the introduction to that, you talk about that issue of the debt and the deficit. But it's somewhat of a new approach. There are a lot of people who have tax policies, but we haven't heard from the practitioners. Yeah, so I'm supporting my former student and wonderful colleague, Natasha Sarin, at uh, the Yale Law School, who's the driving uh, force. 
she's focused on IRS reform, and we're focused on IRS reform just to enforce the tax law we have. And there was important new research showing that, from the IRS, showing that if we're able to carry through on the $80 billion program that was part of President Biden's Recovery Act, that can pay off 10 to 1 in $850 billion of revenue collections, in addition to making our tax code fairer. And that's where tax reform discussions should start. And finally, Larry, uh, there's a lot of talk about commercial real estate, particularly in the office space area. Obviously, the increased interest rates and re failure to return to the office on some parts is really putting pressure on the valuations. So clearly, there are some people who are hurting because of the reduced valuations. But my question is, is it a matter of individual banks, for that matter, as well as owners being hurt? Or is there a p potential for a more systemic problem here with commercial real estate? I think that this is something that our central bank is right to be uh, looking at and right to be looking at with an awareness that almost always in the past, we have acted too slowly to force banks to stop distributing uh, capital, to force banks to raise new capital where that's appropriate, to force banks to fortify liquidity. I think it would be much more productive for our central bank to be focused on the question of real estate portfolios in the banks they supervise and what the genuine value and creditworthiness of those assets is. I think that would be a much more productive focus for the Fed than some of the more abstract and politically driven uh, arguments about various kinds of capital charges on uh, the largest uh, banks. The second set of arguments is an important one to have, but I think it's less urgent uh, than uh, the uh, than the first. Okay, Larry, thank you so very much for joining us again. That's our special contributor here on Wall Street Week. He is Larry Summers of Harvard. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.